because we're in week six of our marriage series, Doing It Right. We're in the book Song of Solomon. Um, and this is my week. I was supposed to have last week. I'm just going to be really frank with you how things work. So uh, when we pick weeks to who's going to preach, uh, last week, which if you were here, Pastor Bob, hi, Pastor Bob, he got to talk about sex. But I was supposed to talk about that, la- that last week. So when, when you go to preach a sermon, there's research involved with this. So I was supposed to preach that. I was like, sweet, I get the sermon on sex. I got a couple weeks to prepare for this. That's awesome. Well, I get a text. He wants to preach it. I get to preach on fighting. So I guess I have deference to him because he's the elder. He wanted to do the research on sex. I'm talking about fighting. <laughs> so what I get to talk about today is something that I'm also an expert at. And especially God has appointed the very right time in my life because uh, me and my wife, uh, we have three kids and we have been moving all weekend for the last week, buying and selling a house. How many of you guys know of ever moved with kids? Those conditions are just right for you to fight, to fight like cats and dogs. So I've had tons of practice at this subject, but uh, a couple weeks ago, we had what I like to call uh, a Goldilocks scenario. Do you know what a Goldilocks scenario is when you talk about astronomy, like a Goldilocks planet? That means the conditions, they're just right for life. Well, I had a Goldilocks scenario where the conditions were just right for me and my wife to want to kill each other. That stemmed from a visit to Ikea the other weekend. So we have three kids. And ha- someone probably just told me ahead of time, Saturday evening is not the time, right around dinner time, to take you and your three children, nine, seven, and three, to Ikea, because number one, the childcare is going to be full. Number two, Ikea is going to be full, because everyone in suburban Philadelphia is at Ikea. And number three, the food kind of sucks, and everyone's going to want to eat there. Uh, and childcare is going to be full, so your kid doesn't get to go there, so you have to kind of corral your kids there. But we went to Ikea anyways. We braided it, because we need some stuff for this house. I need beds for my boys. Did not find the beds for my boys, but everyone is hungry. So have you ever been upstairs in Ikea, where you eat in the cafeteria? It's supposed to be a great idea. It's not a great idea on Saturday night with kids because they have cattle shoots. Everyone walks through the cattle shoots. So you're smacking your kids, follow me through the cattle shoots. Don't touch anything. Cattle shoots, I'm not buying you extra food when you pull the extra food down from the man who's not happy to serve you. So get all your stuff, sit at the table. Second you sit at the table, the last one says, I have to go to the bathroom. Of course you have to go to the bathroom because we just sat down to eat. It's taken 45 minutes to get your food and now you have to go use the bathroom, which is disgusting. So get you to the bathroom, get you back in the car, drive the 40 minutes back to my house through traffic and we get home. That's already, that's already a fight. Am I right? But what's better is, so our house is sold. So we're occupying our house. Someone is selling our house. Someone else is moving to our home. And the second my kid's in the door, they run to the bathroom. We're packing boxes and stuff. And all of a sudden I hear, Dad, the toilet is clogged. Downstairs toilet on a concrete slab. Okay, not a big deal. Son, get out of the bathroom. I can tell you which kids do which. But if you know math, you can kind of do the process of deduction. Neither of these children who did this, and I'm going to tell you about, are three years old. So... First, okay, toilet is clogged. I'm already high stress. Obviously, you might tell by the way I'm speaking right now. I just kind of operate at this level all the time. So, okay, I got this. I'm going to just clog this toilet. I'm going to get this toilet clogged. This is disgusting. It's overflowing. Turn off the water. Clogging the toilet. All of a sudden, I hear screaming, there's water coming out of the toilet. Upstairs. Okay, so we currently, the house we sold is a condo. We're attached to other houses. But if water goes down... And gets in my, it doesn't just get in my house. That water can get in someone else's house, which then I have to pay for in a house I just sold. So there's water. So I've got this toilet situated. I'm running. I'm like I'm sprinting upstairs, upstairs, push the one kid out of the way that you can probably guess who it is by the process of just deduction, push that kid away, and I say, that is not water running out of the toilet. That is water, and that is poop. 
There is poop out of the toilet. There's poop on the floor. This is human poop that I have to now touch with my hands. I have to get some paper towels, wrap your hands, turn off the water, plunge this toilet. I'm doing all this. I'm freaking out. I might have said words that I will never say in front of you guys. I am freaking out. I get downstairs doing that. I'm cleaning up. I'm like, this is disgusting. This is disgusting. This is human waste that I'm cleaning up right now. This is your waste. You are a big kid. And I'm, I'm like, how do you not know how to wipe yourself? Why is there balls of this? That, that, that's a whole other question. That's a whole other question that you might have to ask your kids. Why do you not know how to do this now? So I get all this and I have now freaked out. So I get downstairs and my wife says to me, she's in the kitchen. You need to calm down. I'm like, well, I'm just going to do the math here, dummy. <laughs> one John, one you, two toilets, and poop. Why don't you shut your mouth? <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, but that's absolutely true. I did need to calm down. But there'll be those scenarios in your life where you're just going to fight. Married people, I'm not going to just talk to married people today. So if you're single, if you're divorced, I'm not going to exclude you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But married people, you are going to fight. It's just science. There's going to be times of conflict in your life, high stress seasons, low stress seasons. You guys, if you live together, if you do life together, you're going to fight. You might say, actually, me and my wife don't fight. And uh, my parents growing up, they never fight it. Well, did your parents live like Bert and Ernie? two puppets who lived in twin beds, because I think that's weird if they did not fight. They might have had maybe a really bad marriage. So I think people are just naturally going to fight. If there's no conflict in your marriage, I'm wondering if there's no passion. But there's people speaking here who know what I'm saying. You are definitely going to fight, but you're going to have a choice when you fight. Are you going to fight for your marriage? And this is where we get it wrong. Are you going to fight for your marriage or are you going to fight against your spouse? There's going to be roots of conflict in anything, but you're going to fight for your marriage and not against your spouse. You've heard Pastor Steve say it many times, a great marriage is made of two fighters who are willing to fight for the same thing, and that's the health of their marriage. And I want you to understand one big idea. We're going to keep coming back to this today. Your marriage, which is the marriage that God wants to give you, if you're in it right now, your marriage is worth the fight. The marriage that God wants to give you is worth fighting for. Every marriage is going to have areas of guaranteed conflict. For some people, it's going to be uh, the way you parent. For some of you, it's going to be the way you handle or don't handle money. That's a huge root cause of conflict in a marriage, how you handle and steward the finances that God has given you. Some of you, all of you, is going to be how you drive. How many guys do you and your wife fight about how you drive? Me and my wife fight about how I drive. It's ironic. We've been together 15 years. I've never gotten an accident. And yesterday, we were just fighting about how I drive. And I used to make fun of guys who I'd seen the passenger seats just scrolling through the phone as their wife drives them around. That seems to be an epidemic in this area. And up until about seven days ago, I made fun of that. But then I realized after this past week, they're geniuses. <laughs> these men, <laughs> these men are geniuses. These men gave up, they shut the noise down, they're looking at cat videos, and that's it. But there's a handful of people who are watching right now. You're at a campus, you're sitting in this room with me right now, and you're like, this is hilarious and funny, well, maybe, I don't know. But... Uh, my marriage is, is about to die if it's not already dead. Like right now, today, you came here and you have no hope. You're in a dead marriage. You're thinking about leaving. Maybe he already left. Like you came here today for a solution. 30 minutes with me telling you about some of the neurotic things I do is not going to change your marriage. It's just not. But what I am for sure going to do is I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. And he's not going to make your marriage perfect. But if you follow him, He's going to give you something new, just like Jesus is going to 
and does, makes our hearts new, changes our eternity forever, gives us life and life to the full, his desire is that you would have a marriage that honors him and that generations after you would also honor and follow him. And that is not an unrealistic goal. How many people believe with me? That is not an unrealistic goal. If you're married right now and you're on the brink of collapse, man, just to be real, I did not have a very good marriage for the first couple of years I was married. Uh, it sucked. Me and my wife fought all the time. Like for real fought. Like not joking. Ikea fought. For real fought. And God can give you something infinitely better than you could ever imagine. It just takes work and it takes a fight. Your past experience and your past hurt, things that were done to you, they don't have the right to determine the health of your marriage. They don't. Some of you have that weighing over your hearts right now. Like, well, because I came from this or because I've done this, I don't have the right to have a good marriage. I'm not worthy of it. Only Jesus, he has that right to determine that for you. So we've been in the book of Song of Solomon. So we're going to jump into, you can follow me on the screen. You can jump on your Bible app. We're going to go to Song of Solomon chapter 2. I mean, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 2. And you remember last week, they were really liking each other. They were about to get busy. They were saying sweet things to each other. But this is what happens. He comes to her door and he says this. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of night. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew. My hair with the dampness of night. Remember who he's talking to. This is not his sister. That would be weird. That was a term of endearment about 3,000 years ago. So last week, they were just getting it on. Pastor Bob explained that in very clear detail. So I don't have to go back that for you guys. But here we see a different story. Because the story is, he's out. He comes to her. He knocks. She's in bed. This is where I think it gets real. He's saying, come on. Let's do what we did last week again. But she says something different here. Go to verse 3, just one verse different. She says this, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? I'm ready for bed. Like, you're too late. Like, this is a very different story than we saw last week. Guys, you might be familiar with this very same scenario. I'm ready to go. I'm tired. You kind of missed your opportunity and this is where I think marriage gets a little real because underneath the stress underneath the tiredness underneath all the fights about money or time or kids those are just the symptoms of conflict those are not the roots of conflict but conflict I think always falls into two categories this is how we fight when we're married healthy marriages they fight clean we're going to see this in a second healthy marriages fight clean but unhealthy marriages fight dirty What does that mean when unhealthy marriages fight dirty? Unhealthy marriages fight dirty by bringing up the past. Like, if you were just a better father, our kids would listen to me. They cut. That doesn't resolve anything. Where he says, listen, if you were more available to me, I wouldn't have to look at pornography. Those are real discussions people have. When you fight to win like this, the only trophy you get is divorce and a lifetime of regret. Some of you might be in that spot, and that spot is not a hopeless spot. But when you fight to win, the only thing you get is you lose. You lose. When you cut to the heart, you lose. If you want intimacy, and you attack the other person to try to get that intimacy, guess what? That person wants to be farther away from you. If you're feeling like you're neglected sexually, you have no intimate time at all, and you complain about that person, guess what? That makes you infinitely more unattractive to that person. Healthy couples, they fight towards something called resolution. 
I'm going to say that again. Healthy couples fight towards resolution. That means the health of your marriage is your ultimate goal. And some people say, well, I I just don't really get the whole fighting thing because the only fighting you understand is just very contentious, very hurtful. But if I look at the word of God, I don't see fighting as a negative thing. In fact, if I look at the word of God, I see our God, our Father, identify himself for one of the very first times in his people as a warrior. He says, the Lord is a warrior and Yahweh is his name. He's the same God who says to King David, King David says to him, you have trained my hands for battle. So if you and I, which I believe we are, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, we are made to be fighters. It is something that is inside of my soul. It is a fire that burns within. We are made to fight. But the problem is we fight for the wrong things and against the wrong people. So I'm just going to explain three ways we fight, and we're going to tie this into the story here. A big thing we fight about in our marriage is unmet expectations. Let's see what she says to him again. He comes to her door and she says this, I have taken off my robe. Do I have to put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? She had the expectation from him that he would have shown up earlier, that he would have actually considered her and been there earlier. If he wanted to be with her, he would have showed up. He had the expectation, maybe even based on his previous experience, that all he had to do was show up, show up and show out. I think that's what the homies say. That's all he had to do. Solomon and his bride clearly miscommunicated their expectations and miscommunication that will always lead to separation between you and your spouse, always. You might not even have context here for what I'm saying. So you're like, who is Solomon? What are we talking about? The biggest reference point I can give you is this. So in the Old Testament, whether you've been in church or not, you might know the story of David and Goliath. How many of y'all, you know the story of David and Goliath? David, he was a boy. God had given him power to kill a giant. God made him king. He was a great king over Israel, made a lot of mistakes, but he was a man after God's own heart. That's what his word says. Solomon is David's son who was just starting to reign over Israel. He was just starting to be in charge. And this is the story of him and what we think is probably his first wife. But they didn't know how to communicate and miscommunication leads to separation. Some of the expectations we have are ridiculous for our spouse. What did you see your parents do? Odds are, I know from my life, probably in your life, none of us grew up with perfect parents because that's impossible to do. But maybe you grew up with a mom who was a stay-at-home mom, and she really cared for your every need. She had dinner on the table by 5 o'clock. You were like a 1950s marriage in a home you grew up in, like leave it to the beaver. Maybe you had that. But let's fast forward to 2017 if you're in my life. So me and my wife, we both work. We have three kids. So kind of whoever comes home first, we try to plan our meals and make the dinner. If I had the expectation that when I came home, She got home five minutes before me with kids, that dinner wasn't ready, and I freaked out. My expectations are ridiculous. Or maybe you're a young woman in this room today, and you had a dad who, man, if he was there, he was distant, or maybe he didn't have a dad, you didn't have a dad in your life at all. He never affirmed you, and you have this expectation that it's going to absolutely crush your husband if it's not crushing him now, or it's going to crush your future husband, that he's supposed to be everything to you, that he's supposed to be not only your husband, but your father, and he's supposed to make you feel like a little girl again, like a dad you never had, and that is unrealistic. And those things, they will crush a marriage. Some of you have healthy expectations. I have healthy expectations for my wife, expectations that uh, she'll be kind, that she'll work towards the health of our marriage, that uh, we'll have fidelity towards each other. Some of those are real. 
My wife had the expectation when we got married, now this was 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago, that I would be home most evenings. And I was a very different person at that time. So she had the healthy expectation that I would be home most evenings. Doesn't that seem reasonable? At all our campuses, that seems reasonable that you'd want your husband home most evenings. I had the expectation that because I played in a band, I could just keep doing what I was doing. And I had rehearsals, recording, whatever I was doing, stupid, for some nights a week. And that would be okay. And when she brought this up to me, like, caused a lot of conflict in my house, uh, why aren't you home? My response was, you knew who I was when you married me. Pretty stupid. Unmet healthy expectations. You could be 15 to 20 years into your marriage, and because of unmet expectations causing conflict with you, you are just two strangers in a house. You're that Bert and Ernie we were talking about, just sharing the same bed, if you even share the same bed, completely separate lives. All you do, all you have in common is bills. What else do we fight about in marriage? We fight about our insecurities. We're naturally insecure people. I'm naturally, without Jesus, a very insecure person. The crux of almost all we do in our life is to fill up our insecurities and make us feel good. But the difference is once we meet Jesus, those insecurities should come and die. This is what Ephesians says. Ephesians says this in 2.10. It says, for we are God's handiwork. That also says masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Ephesians calls us God's handiwork slash his masterpiece, and he's created us to do good works before the foundations of the earth. Understanding this alone would end a great deal of conflict in marriage. If you are looking for a man or woman to fulfill your sense of self-worth, to constantly tell you how beautiful you are and perfect you are and how everything you do is right, number one, you're not that. You won't ever be those things. But number two, you're putting a weight on that person that they can never fulfill. That person is not Jesus, and that could only come from Jesus. And if you don't know him today, we're going to get to that point. But if you know him today and you're still struggling with this and trying to pull this out of your partner, I want to explain something to you. God says over and over and over again in his word that we are so loved. He says that he has numbered our days, the hairs on our head. He says that we are the apple of his eye. He says that we are now fearfully and wonderfully made. He says he works all things together for our good and for his glory. So if you have any questions about who you are in Christ, you need to repeat that truth back to yourself. He says that we're adopted into his family because of what Jesus has done. Everything I just mentioned now is from the word of God. So a huge step that you can do into cutting down insecurity and that pool of that in your life is you can get your brain, your eyes, your ears into the word of God. And if that's not a healthy practice you have now, you need to get into that practice like today. Because when you're surrounded by the truth of what God's word says about you and for you and for your life, you're going to stop trying to pull that out of the person you're married to. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And my people who read the Bible in this room will understand who you are in Christ. One of the most attractive things about my wife, it always has been, it always will be, is that, number one, she's never been impressed with me. There's nothing that impressive. She was never that impressed with me. And number two, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, there actually is nothing. Yeah, you're a dork. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that validation. I don't need that from you. I don't need that from you. But what I am saying is that, is that she never required me to build her up like that. She never needed me to complete something mystical about her. She never felt like she was lost before she met me. That just isn't a thing. And what that did for me is go, dang. Well, number one, I have, to, I, have to, I have to work to gain her affection and her attention. Uh, and, and number two, she's not looking to fill any gaps with my life. Now, she for sure likes words of encouragement, and we sure do that with each other. But she's not looking for that from me. And that will always, always, always be the most attractive thing about my wife is that she gets her worth and value 
from Jesus Christ and him alone. So if that's not you, if that's not how you practice your life in marriage, if you're a Christ follower in this place, start to get your worth and value from Jesus and stop crushing your partner with that weight. And I think the biggest reason why you and I, why we fight with our spouse is that we are self-centered. We're just plain selfish. Solomon came to his bride. He was thinking about only himself. He said, I'm here. I'm ready. She was thinking only about herself. Like, I'm tired. I have my jams on. This is not going to happen tonight. I didn't even shower. Just take a break. We have these seasons of our life where we ebb and flow from self-centeredness. Like I said, in my life, man, one of the biggest struggles I will face is that I will constantly be self-centered. I'll think about my needs first and not how to serve my wife. So even how this looked a couple years ago, uh, when I came home from work, this is a season of life where we, our kids were real little. So she was home for all with our kids, which is way harder than what I was doing. So when I came home from work, she just wanted a couple minutes of adult conversation because she's been talking to little kids all day. Well, I just wanted five minutes of silence. That is a way that we are selfish. We have uh, kind of unreal expectations, but I never look to serve her in that. So if you have that expectation over your person, if you're not looking to serve your other person, serve your spouse, you are self-centered. I don't want to exclude you if you're dating right now. Because I think that's a big thing, because I know a lot of people in all of our houses, you're in a dating relationship right now, and you might see, well, like, well, well, we're dating, and we fight all the time. If you're dating, and you fight all the time, you should run. You should run away from that person. You should want good for that person. You should know enough. I'm going to run away from that person, because all my married people with kids, it's way harder when you get married. If you fight all the time when you're dating, you think, a lot of people say, we're just going to get engaged and get married. You know what that's doing? That's like lighting a dumpster on fire. Do you ever see a dumpster fire? It stinks. It ruins a neighborhood. That's what your marriage is going to be if you choose to just fix a dating relationship with marriage. Oh, guess what? You know what makes a dumpster fire better? Throwing a baby on top of that. You're like, oh, you know what we'll do? We have a really bad marriage. I mean, we have a really bad relationship. Let's just get married and have a baby. That'll fix it. No, that's like taking a dumpster fire and like putting manure from Lancaster County inside that dumpster fire and watching it burn. If you're a self-centered person before you get married, only thing marriage does, it throws a magnifying glass on it. Magnifying glass on all your insecurities. It blows them up, wakes them up. The things that your husband, your wife found least attractive about you before and they glossed over because you guys were dating, those things are not disgusting. That's 100% true. All those little habits that everyone has, you have, I have, those end up being true. But we need to think about right now, in your marriage, what are the biggest root causes of conflict? Is it unmet expectations? Is it insecurity? Is it just plain you're selfish? We're going to drop back into the story here. So she says to him, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. We know what she says. She says, uh, no. That's what she says. But one verse later, she says this. My beloved, that means Solomon, he thrust his hand through the latch. My heart began to pound for him. He thrust his hand through the door. All of a sudden, he thrust his hand through the door. Her heart begins to pound. What does that mean? It just means his wife is fickle. She's, she's just, sorry for the stereotype, she's just changing her mind. She's being a woman. She didn't want him one minute. Now she wants him another minute. All of a sudden, she said no. All of a sudden, he did an aggressive act, put his hand through the door, and she's like, oh. Oh, he, he wants me. He wants me now. She changed her mind. She says this, I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands drip with myrrh. I'll explain that. My fingers with flowing myrrh. On the handles of the bolt, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved left. He was gone. My heart sank with his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he didn't answer. So he leaves. 
put his hand through the door, boom, 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 boom. She wants him now. Flowing myrrh. How many of you guys know what flowing myrrh is? Because it just sounds super, super weird to me. It's cologne. Guys, do you all you have a favorite cologne? I'm loving this David Beckham right now. So uh, what I do, if, if I was Solomon at this point, if Solomon was me, instead of flowing myrrh, which was a fragrance, he would take his cologne and be like, oh, you don't want this? So then when she reached her hand back through the door, oh, her hand, it smelled like cologne. That was apparently a gesture back then. I'm going to try it. I don't, that's the thing. I don't have a latch. And like, I don't know why my wife would be locked in if I had, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole thing. I can't really explain or quite understand. Then something else happens that I don't quite understand here because he leaves. And then the story gets a little confusing. And uh, if you have the Bible app or you want to read later today or just take my word for it, probably, uh, that's probably what you'll do. I'm just telling you. He leaves. And then she runs after him. She can't find him. But something interesting and frankly pretty disturbing happens because she can't find him. But then watchmen, because it was a city with walls, then watchmen find her and watchmen beat her. And they not only beat her, the watchmen embarrass her. So we don't really know why this happens. Maybe she was a threat. Maybe people thought she was an intruder. Maybe she's really scary looking. You know how shadows make things scary. They saw shadows. And they, just, they, just, they beat the tar out of this woman and she was embarrassed. And she went back not only without finding her new husband, she went back broken. So I want you to understand that something very small, an unmet expectation, something not communicated clearly, that can give you grave consequences. It might be something said in anger years ago, and now here you are down the road, and you're still feeling the pain of that. Miscommunication will always lead to separation. Unmet expectations too. It could be in the middle of a fight. You say, you always do this. Or remember that time you spent your money? Or remember that time you looked at it? Remember the time you did this when we were dating? Those things come back time and time again because they never let them heal. There's a foundation of mistrust in your marriage, in your relationship, that unless you let Jesus into it and you learn how to fight the right way, man, you're going to be paying the consequences until one of you dies. Something very small and checked will leave that. Then you say, well, now I know why we fight. Somebody said, now I know why we fight, but things are awful. Like, we fight all the time, and how do we fix it? Thank you for getting us halfway there. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to teach myself too, because I'm not the expert on fighting. I just do it often. <laughs> Number one, you learn how to fight fair. And I think the biggest thing we do when we learn how to fight fair, and I'm speaking to believers in this room today, is that we know our enemy. Why don't you say that with me? Know our enemy. It's not our spouse, it's not our husband, it's not our wife. So when you fight about the bills, when you fight about the kids, that person is a person you're in conflict with. That person is actually not your enemy. That person is your helper. And when you change your perspective, I believe God can do a lot in your marriage, but you know your enemy. You can't fight fair, you can't fight clean if you're fighting that person. She was unguarded, she got hurt. She was outside of his protection. Just remember, your marriage, it's worth the fight. How are you going to do that? You're going to respond and you don't react. Reaction is automatic. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. To response is means you stop and think. It's consciously choosing your response. Your partner knows the exact words, believe me, the exact words, the exact timing, the exact tone, to get you to lose your mind. Am, am I right? Am I the only person? Because I'm, I'm super good at that too. I'm not going to tell you what, I, what I'll say because my wife is there, but I'm not going to tell you what she says either. She says I'm awesome. 
but they know the exact right words, the exact right timing to make you lose your mind and react. God calls us to respond and respond in love. Just remember, we are in charge of ourselves. We're not a robot. There's no one pulling the strings of our life. The Bible clearly says that we fight uh, not against flesh and blood, but principalities and Ephesians. We fight against the evil one. But he's not consciously making you do things. So when you say something hurtful and then you say something hurtful back to wound that person, that's not Satan making you do that. That's you making you do that. That's not like going to work and being late in traffic making you late. That's you not making the choice to get up and account for traffic. It's not the external forces making you do something. It's you making you do something. So in the middle of a conflict, what do you do? You respond and you don't react. Romans says this. It says, do not be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. That's what we do. If you're a believer in this place today, we don't have the right to react like that. We don't have the right to hurt, but we're to overcome evil with good. Let me just ask you this. How many times have you ever improved in your life due to criticism? Probably real criticism. Real criticism like, hey man, you stink. Like if, if I get off the stage and someone's like, you stink at preaching, you should stop. I'll be like, all right, I'll just go back to music. But if someone says, hey, man, you stink at preaching. That's probably not going to make me better at this. That's not how we respond to each other. How many of us have ever improved for the long term due to an ultimatum in your life? Like, I told my husband to wake up and come to church, and now he's going to come to church every week. I guarantee fear is a very temporary, temporary motivator. He's going to come to church for three months if his heart's not changed. God doesn't call us to change that person. Your life, your marriage does not thrive on criticism. Here's what the Bible says. We're not called to change our spouse, nor in the Bible does it say that in the book of Colossians it says to the husbands that we're to love our wives and do not be harsh with them. In Ephesians it says we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. We are called to pray for them. We are called to pray for our husband. We are called to pray for our wife because guess what? Prayer, it might not change them. You might not see that change right away especially, but it will always change you. Time in the presence of God will always continually change you. One thing I noticed, the biggest things for my marriage, and I'm just being real with you, man, in times of intense conflict or really stressful seasons, man, when I am praying for my wife early in the morning, when I'm praying for God's very best for her, God's very best, God, lead her, help her be close to you, man, it's really hard to be at odds with that person all the time, isn't it? It's really hard to be uh, at odds and against that person all the time if that's a person you're praying for most. Something happens in the presence of God. Number one, anxiety ceases. You realize that in his presence you have fullness of all things. You realize that growing closer to Jesus and in his word and understanding him, man, it absolutely changes your heart. You're going to be less selfish. You're going to be less insecure. You're going to have correct expectations. We don't change anybody. Like I said, an ultimatum, it never does lasting damage in your partner. Never. You might have been through that. Well, I told him. No, you told him. That doesn't change him. You need to change. You need to get better. We will respond in the spirit and we will not react. Number three, we focus on the good. Be a person who sees hope. If we're Christ followers, we are people who see the very best in people. I know it's hard. Philippians says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This goes against every bone in my body. I'm born and raised in Pennsylvania. Most of you guys, well, we're in the Philadelphia area right now. To how many of you does encouragement come easy? Does saying when it's a nice day outside 
I was just outside in the parking lot. I said, man, it's a great day outside. Do you know how many people agreed with me? Four people agreed with me that it was a nice day outside. It is 80 degrees. It is sunny. It is August. And four people agreed with me that, yeah, it, it's a nice day. So I said, yeah, but it hasn't been that. It's, it's kind of rained all summer. That's just how we are. In fact, I'm so bad at encouraging. I'm so bad at seeing the good that I leave myself a note every Monday morning. You might have got these notes from me. Monday encouragement. I have to encourage somebody on Monday because that is so, it just goes against everything in me. But if I want to be a successful Christ follower, if I want to be a successful husband, that is just something that I'm going to have to learn to focus on the good. Notice the little things your husband or wife does. Pull them out of them. Instead of criticizing all the time, you never do this. Why don't you say, you know, I really love that we did dinner together today and then we cleaned it all up and we just spent time on the floor with our kids just hanging out. Encourage that out. No one ever gets better through criticism. Focus on the good, whatever is true, whatever is right. And then remember, no person will ever fit 100% of your expectations. That is an impossibility. One person did. His name is Jesus. He's holy God. You can't marry him because that's impossible. But your husband or your wife will never fit 100% of your expectations. But 65? Yeah. Does that mean that you should stand for sinful behavior? Absolutely not. Speak the truth in love. But... Pull out the good from that person. And lastly, this is a big thing. Do not talk. I mean, talk and don't walk. Talk it out. Do the fight. So many people in the face of conflict, especially men, will choose cowardice and walking away and never resolving it. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil, now you, I'm going to highlight something for you here. The devil's goal in your life and in your marriage is to separate you, to cause fusion, uh, to destroy you guys. That's all his aim is. He wants to break you guys apart. And when you choose to let conflict go unresolved day after day, what you're doing is that you are opening the door to the adversary, the devil, and saying, just come in do what you want. You know what he's going to do? He's going to separate you guys because left unchecked, your marriage is not going to gravitate towards health. It's not going to gravitate towards unity. It's not going to do any of that. It's going to gravitate toward destruction. And some of you know that because you're on that side of it right now and say, if we would have just talked it out and not walked away, we could have done something. But you don't know how to talk. You don't know how to work towards resolution because you never let Jesus change that part of you. Me and my wife, we have different arguing styles. I'm 100%. I'm 0 60, 100%. But I, have ne- I can tell you the truth. I have never gone to sleep angry 13 years because I will stay up all night. I will stay up all night fighting and fighting and fighting. One, because I might be obstinate. And number two, because I believe this with my whole heart and I've seen it. If you give Satan a foothold in your marriage, if you let the sun go down in your anger, you're going to give Satan a foothold. Learn to apologize in your marriage. Some of you right now, you're in the midst of brokenness in your relationship. Learn to apologize. At Royersport, learn to apologize to your spouse. At Limerick, learn to apologize. And apology doesn't mean I was absolutely wrong. Apology can mean, you know what? I was doing that and I didn't consider your feelings first. I didn't look to serve you best. I didn't realize I was even hurting you. And you know what? For that, I'm sorry. Because at the base, at the very foundation of it, that's your brother and sister in Christ. And you want good for that person. You want good for that person. Learn to apologize. Pride says something to your partner. Pride says, I am right. Humility considers them. What pride also does is that take you out of God's blessing. 
when you are prideful, when you think you are constantly right, God says, you know what? I now, I oppose you. I am against you. Holy God who created you, he is now against you when you're prideful. Consider yourself lower than the other person. Put those person's feelings before your own. And if you're in your marriage right now, and maybe you're on the brink or maybe you're not, but you've thrown this word around, I want you to take it out of your vocabulary right now. And that word is divorce. My wife and I, we made a covenant with each other that we're never going to speak those words. We're never going to give power to those words. The power of life and death is in the tongue. That means the power of life and death. It's in the words that we speak. We said we're never even going to say those words. No matter how hard it gets, no matter if we have to stay up for three days fighting, those words, they're just not going to come out of our mouth. Jesus has some strong words about it. He gives a couple cases where, yes, divorce is necessary. Cases of adultery, abandonment, abuse. Absolutely, don't stay in an abusive situation. But in other cases, I believe a marriage made of two fighters. People are willing to fight for the right thing. Man, God can always bless that marriage. Choose to respond and not react. All across this place and all our campuses, I want you to understand that God's desire is to bless your marriage. And you might think, well, I, don't, I just don't have that right now. Maybe you've been married for a couple years. Maybe you've been married for 25 years. Your kids are already out of your house. And frankly, they've seen an awful life. They don't want to get married now because they see your life. Your legacy isn't done. Because the God we serve, Jesus Christ, he can make all things new. But it takes work on your part. It's not magic. We don't ask God to throw Hail Mary into our marriage or into our lives if we're not willing to do the work. That's the last ditch attempt. He's the God of miracles, but he's also the God who's in the work. Am I right? He's also the God who's in the getting up early and getting breakfast ready. He's also God who is speaking kindly to one another and taking care of each other's needs before your own. That's the God that I serve who's in those very details of your life. 